This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Asia Torah, practical spirituality course in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. We have an important question and that is that everyone holds the Ten Commandments are like the most important thing in maybe the world. Like the, Welcome ladies, table for two right here. The Ten Commandments were... Um, you know, they even show up in the... I forget what building they're in, in the Capitol in the U.S., uh, but they're, they're in one of the buildings there, like etched in marble, you know. like the Ten Commandments are considered the values that have civilized humanity. The Ten Commandments, in a way, you could say they really just represent values because no one knows what they are. <laughs> Meaning no one knows what the Ten Commandments are, so they just figure it represents values. I mean, people know you're not supposed to lie, steal, or commit adultery. I think they know those, but, but, but I don't think most people know what's really in the Ten Commandments. Um, anyone here knows the Ten Commandments by heart? That was a yes or no. I mean, yeah. Oh, he's trying to figure it out. He's like... So, so what, we'll, what we're going to do is discuss why they made it to the top ten list, because there were so many, so many much more obvious ones that should have been in the top ten list, and the Ten Commandments doesn't include them, and yet it includes these others. And what are they doing there? But again, t- the Ten Commandments more represent values to the world, because most people don't know what the Ten Commandments are. We can go walk down the street in Manhattan with a video camera and start interviewing people to tell you the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Like what, you know? How are we supposed to do that? And the so so why don't we list them and uh, see what they're doing there? Why why are these there? What do they all have in common? What's different amongst them? So I think we'll do uh, five on this side. We'll do five on that side, and we'll start over here. I just want to see if you can name them first of all. So just for fun, just to see if you guys can name them. So who wants to name a commandment? Okay, that, 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 you know, that's a whole discussion, but it seems to be something to do with belief in God, according to Rambam, knowledge of God. Is this in the camera eye right now? Uh, yeah. Okay, am I also? Just a little more. Okay, what do we got for number two? Okay, idolatry. Idolatry is number two. Okay. Number three. Excellent. Uh, how do you spell vain? Via A-I-N? Name in vain. You don't do that. And number four. Sabbath. Okay, number five. Honor parents. Okay, so so far we've got um, so far we've got two negatives, three positives. So we're looking positive so far. Three, right? Okay, moving on to number six. Go with stealing first. I don't know. I don't know if that goes first. Don't call. Okay. I'll give you a way to remember it. Is uh, you go if you go with the roots, it goes the opposite. So, so the word to kill is retzach, 
So that's Rish. So that's the furthest along the alphabet is the Rish. Okay. So that's Don't Kill. And then, uh, so Kill. That's negative. Seven is what? Adultery. Adultery, which is uh, Niuf. Niuf is so Nun. So, that, so it's Rish, Nun. And then Kill is, uh, is, uh, is sorry, um, um, Steel is uh, Ganav or Gonev, which is a Gimel. So you'll see it's opposite order there. Okay, so this is adultery. A strange name for it. And then... Uh, don't steal. Uh, don't steal. Yeah, steal. And by the way, a lot of people don't know this, but it means kidnap. Okay? Which is really weird. Like, anyone do that? Yeah, it means don't kidnap. That's exactly what I would have been thinking of. Okay, number nine. Okay, number nine is, we'll call it lie. But it's not just lie, it's really false testimony. Because you're allowed to lie about the right things, you know, like, like the guy about to mug you on a train and he asks you how far you're going. You tell him you're getting off the last stop and then you get off the next stop. Okay, so you're certainly allowed to lie. So this is a, a false testimony. And that's out. And then the number 10. Don't covet. 10 is to covet. That's over here. Oh, you got it. No problem. Uh, don't covet people's stuff. That means don't want other people's stuff. Okay, so there's the Ten Commandments. She did excellent, by the way. You didn't look it up online or anything. No. <laughs> yeah. I always, I always feel like I'm feeling kidnapped. Like, I always not supposed to laugh. Otherwise, I know Isn't that interesting? The whole right side of the board are don't-dos. Left side of the board, the do's beat the don't-dos. The right side of the board all has to do with you and people. The left side of the board has to do with you and God. Until you get to number five, which has to do with you and your parents. So these are like you and God, or you and divinity, and then honor your parents. Okay. Good. You're not in the camera when you say I'm too far away? Yeah. All right. Uh, what do I do? And then we get backlight. Yeah. How's that? All right, so, so I don't think anyone would argue that the first commandment should not be there, considering it's the purpose of reality. Like, the whole purpose of reality is that humanity should have... Actually, I'm not going to answer that. What's the purpose of reality? What's the purpose of reality? Raise your hand. Tell me the purpose. I mean, you've been on... You know, how old are you, lady? 19. Yeah, 19 years to figure this out. So you get to answer. To know God. To know God? Okay. Certainly, I think, part of it, yeah. Yeah? Connect to a higher consciousness and bring it down here. and make our seemingly mundane actions um, meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> higher power? Okay, I like that. Higher power. It's 12 steps. <laughs> um... Anyway, the, the old, uh, you're all did great. 
The, the, but the ultimate purpose of reality is to connect to God. Now, obviously, you've got to know there's a God before you can connect to God. So knowing there's a God is certainly an important commandment. That's the first commandment. Connecting to God is why God did it. So I think it definitely fits to know there's a God. Now, just on the subject, um, there's an argument about knowing there's a God. Is it belief or is it knowing? Meaning, is it enough to believe in God or, is it, or do you have to actually know? So according to the Rambam, you have to know. And according to the Ramban, uh, another you know, classical commentary of over a thousand years ago, is, is that it's enough to believe in God. And then there's some who say you need both. You need both. You need know and believe, which is explained a bit. When you've noticed in a lot of our prayers, it'll say our God and the God of our forefathers. So our God is the no part, meaning you have to figure it out. You have to get the evidence. You have to figure, is there a God? God of our forefathers is the belief that you're given when you're a little kid and your parents tell you about God. It's not a proof-oriented thing. It's just your parents are telling you there's a God. And that's your belief. Your belief is built from growing up with it. The Ramchal of Moshe Chaim Luzato says that you have to believe and know, and that's the first line of Der Hashem. You have to believe and know. He puts them both together. Other rabbis say that Gentiles have to believe and Jews have to know. Meaning, for Gentiles, enough to believe. You know, we're not expecting them to like figure this out. Jews have to figure it out. And it's an interesting subject altogether because if people can connect to believe. Look at Christians. You know, they're all connected to a total belief system, no knowing whatsoever. You know, they, they, nobody knows nothing about God or, you know, that God had a son named Jesus, you know. And, you know, and they, it's like, you know, the, 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 any knowing there, all belief. And they're quite connected to it. So, yeah. My parents are telling me about God, so I believe about it. So doesn't knowing come with the belief? I mean, the deeper knowing does, but not the intellectual knowing. Intellectual knowing only comes when you've gathered evidence, and that evidence has reached a threshold that you call knowing something, which you might call, you might have a higher threshold than the gentleman next to you. You may have a lower threshold, but till, till you gather that evidence and call it knowledge, you're not at knowledge. And so it, it, it's an interesting subject, this whole thing. But here's the funniest part about it is, is what are you supposed to know exactly? I mean, what do you have to? What do you have to have? Lightning strike, you know? God, if lightning strikes over here, then I know you exist. You're like, okay, now I got. Now I can fulfill that commandment the rest of my life. I Meaning, what exactly is it even asking us for? When the Rambam says you have to know, what kind of knowledge is he talking about? You have to become a prophet, like prophets. No, I get that for sure. A prophet knows there's a God. So what? What does it mean? So I'll just answer that quickly. What it means is not absolute knowledge with the lightning. Rather, it means deductive knowledge. Yeah, you, you have to have gathered, I said it before, but yeah, deductive knowledge means you've gathered enough evidence that it hits your threshold of calling things true, which is the same way you get on a flight. You don't know it's going to make it, but it, the plane got, it got to this airport. It'll probably get to the next one. You know, eventually it might not get to an airport, but hopefully not on my watch. You know, like, not while I'm on it. And so, yeah, that's the, uh, speaking of airplanes and getting there, um, I, I had a nice idea of 
of creating a goal in your life. Let's say on, for every 300 people sitting in an airplane, what percentage would you say are like really scared? They're nervous. You can see them in your cabin. I mean, there's always people who are nervous about flying. You know, they're the ones telling you to turn your cell phone off while it starts, <laughs> while it starts taxing. You know, the plane's taxing, and they're like, please shut your cell phone off. This is very dangerous. You notice they've, like, stopped bothering us altogether about it? You know, and some, some areas have changed the laws already that, that you don't have to even bother with it anymore. So, anyway, so, I mean, this is just a side note for fun, but you want to be the kind of person... You want to become the kind of person that when you step on a plane, everyone relaxes. You know what I mean by that? Why do they relax? Oh, no, I didn't mean like that. The person sitting in the plane sees, what's your name? Leah. So when Leah, I'm not going to ask your last name live feed, but let's just say your last name is Goldstein. So, what I, is it really? Is there a gold in there or a steen? No, it's the same kind of a stereotypical. Hey, what do we got? Magnesium. I'll do some magnesium. Can you pass that water? I'm going to take some magnesium. After mountain biking, your muscles are a little depleted. It's really good for post muscle stuff. Having this weird phenomenon where I'm getting muscle cramps in my leg which is nasty especially when you're surfing and, and especially when you're surfing in front of rocks I meaning you can't get in even if you want to there's only a couple like ways back to shore and you have to get to them and if god forbid you get a leg cramp out there you know, you're going to be saying hi to the rocks because you're not doing much you're not going to be able to move around much you guys know what I'm talking about getting that golf ball in the calf or something so, but I don't know what the answer is because magnesium hasn't really done much for me at all. And I don't know what's going on. I eat once in a while. So I think I have enough nutrition, but maybe I don't know. Last time I got terrible cramps surfing, I was flopping around the beach for 20 minutes like a fish out of water. People were like, People, random people were coming up and massaging my legs. <laughs> I'm not kidding. People were on like romantic walks with their, you know, spouse and they were like coming over to me going like, what in the world, man? Should I call an ambulance? And I'm like, just massage it. <laughs> I wound up limping for 10 days. I mean, it completely pulled my muscle. It was so bad. So, um, anyway... I think you meant like... Uh, send me a message if you have the answer, and please don't make it a random guess, okay? I'm a little busy right now <laughs> to get random comments about my, my leg cramps. So, yeah, you were going to say, Peter? Yeah, that, like once you walk on, it's like there's no way God's going to bring this plane down. When Leah Goldstein gets on the plane, God's not taking this plane down. So that was the idea, is become the person. Become so great that when you walk on a plane, people are like, he's not going to... This plane ain't going down. I've sat on planes where I was a little nervous about it because it was stormy and I knew there was like some major storms on the way. I was a little nervous about the flight. And then on walks, I like one time Mayor Schuster walked on the on board. So I just immediately relaxed. I'm like, there's no way this plane's going down. So ever since I had that feeling, I said to myself, 
I want to become the kind of person that everyone relaxes when he gets on the plane. Okay, that was a side point. God's not expecting you to know with absolute knowledge. He's expecting you to deduce it. Just like, you know, the same amount you'd risk your life on in the, to get on an airplane. Okay, next is idolatry. That, I think that makes sense. I don't think we need to spend time on that because it completely denies God's power for you to believe in the powers that God ascribed power to. I mean, God ascribed power to other things, obviously. The whole... This whole creation is only coming from a, it's a projection from a metaphysical world filled with entities. And so, so God did ascribe, God get, did give power to them. He invested power into the sun, into the moon, into this, the zodiac, you know, those constellations are, are powerful influencers. And the, and so they they have invested power in them, but, but we're commanded not to short circuit the relationship with God, meaning, meaning don't overly thank your waiter. Find the kitchen in the restaurant and go thank the people who actually made the food. So that, you understand, like, go to the source. Don't, don't just thank them. The medium, the intermediary. Yeah? I don't get why you need to suck it on. Like, if you, are, if you truly believe in God, why, like, why would you be worshiping idols? Uh, excellent. Anyone got an answer? The question, you got the question? Like, if you got the first one, we don't need the second one. I mean, like, people that worship idols still believe there's a God. Okay, that's one answer, is that, that you can, right? You can walk around full belief in God and suddenly bow down to something. The person could just get pulled into it, you know, it's, it was pretty powerful. And there were times where they say that more powerful than a man rubbernecking a girl walking by is, was the power of idolatry, meaning more powerful than that. And you all see that that's like nearly impossible to withstand. What rubbernecking was that? Rubbernecking? What did you say? Oh, it might not be a term in Australia. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> what do you say, rubbing? Rubbernecking means staring at a woman walking by, but your neck, your head just goes <laughs> like. It's called rubbernecking. You never heard that term? No. Must be American or something. Rubbernecking. So, anyway. They, but they say more powerful than that was idolatry. So then it would make sense. Because right. here you believe in God. It's just that there's a tremendous connection available right there. You know, and with that group of people who are all serving this particular thing. You hear that? I just got a WhatsApp, by the way, from a woman who went to a yoga class. And the teacher, Jewish observant woman. And, you know, when Jews go to non-Jerusalem yoga classes... Because in Jerusalem, the yoga class are real clean and straight and clearly not idolatrous. But all the Jews who are observant, who are stuck in their cities and towns where they want to do yoga, and they have to just, they just kind of overlook it, overlook this, the, all the meditations and the names they're using. And, and, uh, and they, you know, they consider it just advanced stretching. But uh, anyway, so she just told, she was, I only got to read half, if you're listening, I only got to read half your WhatsApp, that's how busy I've been. Um, but I did see that the uh, teacher had brought in a God, and so we're dedicating the today's session to this God, you know. <laughs> I didn't get to read the rest of the message, I don't know if she got up and left, I don't know what she, what she did exactly, but the answer is you get, the answer is you get up and leave, because you can't be part of such a group. You know, I don't know if you can never be part of such a group, but certainly not that day. So, anyway, 
the anyway, but the the stuff was powerful, and you, you know these these aren't a joke. Even when the Christians, sorry to use the word even, but even Christians getting into their frames of mind that they get into when they're doing ecstatic prayer. I'm not sure which groups do this, but I imagine some of them do it when they're doing their ecstatic prayer. I bet you they're feeling more than you are when you're praying as a Jew. They're probably feeling more than you are when you're praying as a Jew because they're tapping into um, they're tapping into certain. I don't know how to translate in Hebrew. It's it's called kochos. What forces? Forces. Excellent, excellent word. Perfect. What's your name? Hi. Hi. I met you before, right? You were in class before. Yeah. So anyway, they're connecting into certain forces. Now, why wouldn't God feel that way? And the answer is, is because, well, I don't want to go too into it because we're doing Ten Commandments, but God's the, God's like the CEO of the entire company here, you know, you know, you don't, you don't get to like, you don't get to like go to 7-Eleven and meet the CEO. You get to enjoy your Slurpee. That's what you get, you know, and the, you know, that. so, so, and if you were to somehow have a communication with the CEO, you'd be lucky if it was anything more than an email. Now, it's not that God isn't very connective. He is very connective. I mean, think about it. He's crazy about you. He's been arranging your whole life. I mean, he's orchestrated your entire day. So he's definitely crazy about you, and he's definitely very involved. But for you to think that you connecting with God is going to give you some overwhelming, you know, kind of orgasmic experience compared to connecting to forces that... That we, that not we as Jews, but that the Gentiles have gotten really good at how to link into them. So it's it's a different type of thing. It's there's an immediacy to it. I mean, think about just the immediacy of having an icon on the wall, which you know Jews have no icons. It's forbidden. It's one of the part of the Ten Commandments. It doesn't just say no idolatry. It go, they, there's like another five, six, seven lines there of like creating icons. No icons allowed whatsoever. And by the way, Jewish stars are not icons, and nor are um, menorahs or anything like that that Jews love to have around everywhere. Those are not called icons. Okay? Icons means that, that it is a symbol of God. Okay? We have no symbols of God, any visual symbols of God whatsoever. So we already know built in, that you don't get that kind of immediacy in, in the connection. Now, this is the importance of meditation. This is the importance of meditation, that if you're doing your prayers, I'm not going to ask you to do every prayer meditatively, but if you're, if you're doing prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer, meaning three times a day praying, as many Jews do, without any meditation beforehand, to get yourself into that place of immediacy, into that place of connectivity, so then you're just a joker. I mean, you're, you're not a serious Jew. You're very committed to praying every day, but you're not really serious. You're not a serious servant of God because, because you know you're not going to be feeling much if you're not getting into a state of meditation first. And you must get into that and become a disciplined thinker, at least for some of the prayers. By the way, the word meditation, in case you're wondering, just to qualify what I said, that meditation means to think about one thing at a time, one thing at a time, as opposed to wandering. And so, and so the human brain's great at wandering, as you may have noticed, it loves wandering. And so you must get yourself into that disciplined state away from the wandering, which includes breathing and, and a limitation of stimulation and, 
and various other techniques, but you've got to use those techniques, which are available on YouTube for the most part. I mean, you don't need to like, oh, where am I going to learn that? You know, you're going to learn that where you learn everything else, online. So you go online and you, and you watch a YouTube meditation thing and practice it until you get your mind under control. I mean, my own watch, <laughs> I forgot to put my watch on today. That's the problem with the smartwatches, you plug it in. Because all my, all my life I've had my watch in my pocket while I sleep. So I, later in the day I figure out where my watch is. <laughs> this, this watch, if I leave the house, I don't have a watch. Anyway, but it's got a button on it, literally on the face. When you look at the watch, you can press this button and it's a minute of breathing with a visual showing the lungs coming in and out. Like it's a, just a, it's just a graphic, it's not lungs, it's like a picture comes in and out and it and you stop i've done it a few times it's actually it was quite interesting i i was in a different state of mind every single time i pressed that after the minute minute of focused breathing staring at this graphic opening and closing it works it literally changed your state of mind which is really important if you're going to be praying you don't have to do it every prayer sometimes you're in a hurry sometimes you know you're just not your mind your 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 heart's not in it but you're obligated to the prayers, so you, meaning you you're committed to your committed prayer, prayer. But at least some of the time, some of the time. Otherwise, you're just not a spiritual Jew, and it shows. No offense. Okay. Yeah, Liron. So you're saying that every time, or most of the times, when we pray, we need to go ahead and meditate, right? Right. So, for example, you know, I travel. And my schedule is quite tight. So what I try to do is I make sure that whenever I'm in the bus, because I stay quite far away from Jerusalem, because I work here. Yeah. So, you know, uh, when I'm in the bus, it takes a while for me to travel out here in Jerusalem. So what I do is I just close my eyes and, you know, collect my thoughts and, you know, meditate. Perfect. I look, I look funny, though. doesn't matter, but uh, I at least try my best to, you know. People probably think you're sleeping. Yeah. Okay, great. Anyway, that's another reason why this should be here, but I want to go a little bit deeper into idolatry and that, um, I mean, this is not deeper necessarily, and it might not even be that true, but Rav Noach Weinberg would be happy I said what I'm about to say, and that is that the biggest idol today is you. <laughs> no offense. Yeah, and what's that? Yeah, the biggest idol today is you, because you actually think you're accomplishing things you're accomplishing. You forget the fact that God lets you pretend you actually do anything. So, that, what's Shabbat? Shabbat's when God says, let's stop pretending. Just give me one day. Give me one day where we're going to stop pretending you did anything and just be present for an entire day to the fact that I'm running, running the show. Right? And what do we do? We make Kiddush saying... God created the, you know, and God completed the creation and he rested and, you know, we're saying he made this place. He's running the show. That's how we start the whole day with saying that God runs the show. So, but we feel we run the show the other days. My, and my, just to give a little uh, honor to my, my, um, my teacher, Rav Shalom Friedman, the great Merlin. Um, he, he says, um, he says, uh, that I, you know, says, I don't know where he got that. It could be he got it from his Rebbe, but I'll at least quote him, quote him that, that idolaters are much better than our generation. Because idolaters, they at least believe power came from something else other than themselves. 
So you understand? So he actually praises idolaters compared to our generation. Because our generation believes we're the, we're the you know, we ourselves are, you know, the, the determinants of reality. We determine things when, in fact, God determines things. And not that we don't have free will, but, but ultimately God's running the show. Now, uh, just on that subject, so you can be a deep believer in God, but you can easily forget and think you're, right. you're actually doing stuff. Okay, using God's name in vain. Why that ain't the top ten list? What's the big deal? And what, is it, what does it even mean? What does it mean to use God's name in vain? Mm, no. Oh, swear in the name of God. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. No swearing in the name of God. Okay. Is that true? You can't swear in the name of God? Yeah, you can do that. So what does it mean? What's this commandment? I think that's probably a good idea, but I don't think that's what this commandment is. You ever thought about this? Like, what exactly are we commanded here? So there's different examples given by the rabbis, and none of them seem like a big deal, but one of them, I'll just give you one example, is not to, um, not to swear in the name of God that this is a cup. That's in vain. Right? Um, maybe prayer in vain might be a problem too. Meaning if you're following a, if you're following a, a fire truck up the street, up your street, and you're, you're not allowed to pray in the name of God that the, um, that it's not your house. Why? Yeah, it's, it either is your house or not your house. You know, there's a house on fire. It's. Yeah, you can pray for other things. You can't pray. It's not your house. It's not your house because now you're using God's name in vain. Hear that? You're not allowed to pray after the fortieth day in the name of God for the gender of your baby. Male or female. Because after the 40th day, it's locked in. Until the 40th day, it's not locked in. So you're allowed to pray for gender. If you've had like, you know, five boys in a row, you're allowed to pray for a girl up to day 40. Okay, but what's it doing in the top 10 list? What's the big deal? What is the big deal? Why is it in the top 10 list? Anyone know? Stumped? Shouldn't love your neighbor have made it above this one? Love your neighbor didn't even make it. <laughs> what do you say? Yeah. Because it's taking the existence of God himself in vain. If you're, you know, putting, because name is the only way we can really, you know, almost connect to God, you know, it's kind of a symbol of his essence. If we use that, you know, baselessly, then it's almost making the existence of God in and of itself baseless. Okay, could be, and it's also a level of honoring, or dis- it's a dishonor. It's a dishonor to God. Okay. I mean, God obviously means business, so I think maybe any of these having to do with God are legit, just because. 
Now, this is, seems a lot less important than these two, because these are the basis of reality. This one's not necessarily the basis of reality, but it made the top ten list, so it must have something to do with the basis of reality, because the whole point of the Ten Commandments is these are the basics, the basic values of reality in this world. Using God's name, mate. no one's give a stab, another stab at it. No, I'll give a stab. Peter, you want to give it a try? Maybe like keeping holy things holy and not uh, taking them out of that domain. Like as a binyanov. Like a binyanov means a, it's making a broad category. Like don't mess with holy stuff. Uh-huh. Maybe. That might be why it made the top ten. So you don't like desecrate things that are holy and so we're going to make one big one like God's name's not desecrated and therefore keep your eyes out of desecrating things okay that's nice uh, what's your name? Strong Strong what do you got? Um, if you're going to use his name in vain it's going to show that you have a lack of respect for him it's like you're on the same playing field you're on the same level but I'm just going to treat him like he's like my friend and use his name whatever just I want just throw his name around that's one if you can't respect that you're not going to respect anyone else if you can't respect God okay also a bit of a binion out of there <laughs> Okay, all right. Uh, uh, because the name itself has power, you can use it for forces of Tuma or computer forces. Use it for evil. Uh-huh, wow. Right, if you're already not allowed to say things in God's name that are in vain, so then uh, all the more so you're not going to start using them for forces of evil. Like, okay. If you can't use it for the little stuff, then you're certainly not going to use it for the big stuff. The, uh, I mean, even forces of good, who are you to be using them? You know, the Kohani, I mean, the temple were the ones who were in charge of the names. I mean, they were the ones who were allowed to use them. And they were very careful with how they used them. They did not give them out. You know, do you know, you ever heard the story about the first pope with the names of God? You ever heard that story? Yeah, this story is not very appreciated by today's modern black hat world. But, um, but uh, somehow Mishpacha magazine, I think it was, had the courage to print it. Which I was very proud of them for printing it, even though they probably got hell for it. Um, what happened was the early Christians were the early Christians were hassling the Jews badly, meaning they were a nightmare. And this during Roman times, early Christians were just regular observant Jews. They just, you know, had gone, you know, rebellious against. It was like a rebellious sect. They weren't the Christians we know. It's not Christianity. They're called early Christians. So this was fully observant Jews who had rebelled against uh, the, the mainstream Jewish world. And they kind of held, the, you know, their, their, the leader rebel was, was Jesus, who was, you know, the, the, who got stoned. You know, the, 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 I know they, everyone says he got crucified, but that's not the way the history, the contemporary history does not mention any crucifixion whatsoever. It only mentions stoning. The crucifixion stories come like 300 years later. So... The, anyway, but these early Christians were really uh, a thorn in the Jewish people's side because they would like, they, would, they had these Romans at their fingertips. Romans were just happy to listen to any early Christian, you know, uh, reporting on the Jews, you know. And, and uh, what happened was it was so bad that the rabbis gathered. Uh, one particular big rabbi whose name was, uh, how do you say Peter in Hebrew? I just say Peter in Hebrew. Uh, someone have Google on their phone? Uh, just write Peter in Hebrew. So, anyway, I forget his name. Petros, 
No, in Hebrew. Paltiel, isn't it? No. In Hebrew. Oh, it is Paltiel? Maybe. No, that's Paul. Yeah, yeah, right. It translates Peter. Yeah, that's probably just... Okay, whatever. So, maybe his name wasn't Peter. I'm pretty sure it's Peter, though. Anyway, he was a fisherman in Jaffa. He was one of the sages of the of the Gemara. Sorry, of the one of the sages of the Mishnah. He was a Tana. And he... Um, anyway, he was... He had an idea... And the idea was, he gathered the sage and told him the idea. He said that I'm going to go to the Kohanim with your permission, meaning with your, with a note from, a doctor's note or a parental note from all the rabbis, giving me permission to use the names of God to do magic for the early, for the Christians. And if I do magic for them, they will make me their leader. And then I'm going to get a prophecy I mean a fake prophecy, but I'll get a prophecy that the, the Christians are to move to Rome. And the rabbis are like, are you kidding? I mean, that's so out of the box to do that. And he said, I'm willing to do it. I mean, he, he's sacrificing life. His wife and kids are in Java. He's not taking them. You know, he's got a wife and kids, family, probably a congregation. Who knows who, what he had? He was one of the sages. He had to let go of everything to do this. And he said, but the punishment of using those names of God, which are only for the Kohanim in the temple, the punishment for that, I refuse to bear it by myself. We all have to bear it evenly. Meaning we're going to spread the punishment for using the names of God like this. We're going to spread it evenly amongst the sages. And the sages agreed. And he went, he went to the Kohanim, he got the, he got the names did the act, the Kabbalistic works of wonder, and, and the Christians bought it and said, wow, oh, this is our leader, you know, and, and he uh, got his prophecy, we all have to move to Rome, and they moved to Rome. He moved to Rome and led them, and he was the first pope in Rome, and today, ever since then, every pope wears a ring with a fisherman on it. And that's, I think, has to do with the fish you'll see on cars sometimes. I don't know. Or maybe that's something else, I don't know. But every pope has a ring that gets passed down pope to pope, that ring of a fisherman on it, who was the first pope who was actually one of the sages. Now, he lived the rest of his life in solitude and in pain and just in prayer. And just the rest of his life was lousy. But he, uh, meaning lousy compared to living obviously in the Holy Land and being a regular father and family man and, and member of the sages. But, uh, but he did send two prayers. And what's interesting about these two prayers, they're heart-wrenching prayers, but these two prayers are everyone's favorite two prayers in the sitter. Meaning if you ask anyone who's spent years and years and years praying, they'll, they'll always tell you that their two favorite prayers are these two prayers. I wonder if anyone knows what the two prayers are, but you'd have to have spent, you have to be like a very dedicated prayer person. You know the two prayers already? Rabbi, uh, what? Oh, no, I don't mean from, from uh, no, they're not, they're not part of the Amida, they, but we, but our sages put it, the men of the great assembly put it in our prayer book. He sent the prayers from Rome, like hidden in, in packages and sent these two prayers and they got put in our prayer, prayer book. 
I don't think you guys are getting it. Um, the answer is Avarabba. Havarabah, that's right before we say Shema. Definitely one of the most beautiful prayers we have. And you know what the other one is? People love it even more than Avarabah. Shema's Torah. It's, it's Nishmas. Nishmat Kochai. He wrote Nishma. Yeah. And he sent those to Israel, and those were put in the prayer book, and those are the ones. Like, if you're going to pray... I say pray. If you're going to cry at any point of prayer, it's likely going to be Avarava or Nishma. Those are like, like, if you're the kind of person who cries in prayer and you're into prayer, like that's where the tears are going to start pouring out is during those. And you can feel his heart when you're praying. And like, he was just so connected to God, even though he had, you know, the, the da- his downfall, which was living in exile all those years, is, you know, he sent these heart-wrenching prayers. To, to the Jewish people and they were put in our prayer book. Now, what I just said is not necessarily controversial, but because it really offends a lot of people who can't believe that the first Pope wrote those two prayers. They refuse to believe that. So they, um, so they, they argue that it can't be the case, but it's well-documented, that story. I wouldn't have told it to you if it wasn't well-documented. But you can look it up online and read the different opinions and and uh, the, the, the angry uh, rebuttal about it. Um, I'm not saying the story to be provocative. I just, it's just an incredible story. Why shouldn't it be told, you know? And, um, okay, we didn't get that far. Um, so, and it's also probably after four if I see Rabbi Ellis in the back. So we're going we're gonna to call it a day. Shalom, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.